0: Hey, 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 this is Steve Whiteman from Kicks, and you are rocking with John Caddick on Iron City Rocks.
1: Woohoo! Hi, this is Dan Mays from Clutch, and you're listening to
0: Iron City Rocks. Hey, this is John Five, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Yeah!
2: Welcome to episode 434 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, John, coming to you from the Iron City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, bringing you the best rock, hard rock, heavy metal, and blues talk on the net. Episode 434, we are proud to, to have on the show uh, John Palumbo of the band Crack the Sky. Crack This Sky is going to be doing a show at Jurgles on the 7th of March. You can get tickets for that at their website. We'll have a link on our website for that. John, originally from the Weirton uh, West Virginia area, uh, also Rick Wachowski uh, of the Pittsburgh area, uh, so the band has certainly ties to Western Pennsylvania, so it's uh, great to finally get a member of the band on the show. Uh, back in 2018, which a uh, blink of an eye in the record industry, uh, on Loud and Proud Records they released Living in Reverse, a really cool album, and also uh, around the same year they released Crackology, which is a re-recording of some of the band's kind of classic songs a band that really as we talk in the interview um maybe didn't achieve some of the success that some of the bands of their their era uh bands like rush come to mind that did sort of a progressive music uh and we talk a little bit about how or, or i should say why that happened in the interview with john but uh, still making great music uh they've been very active uh, i remember in the uh in the 90s, they really had uh, some songs that were, were on the airwaves, uh, but really never stopped making music. So it, it's great to see them still at it, still touring, uh, maybe a little more regionally, but it's still great to, to see them. So we are going to get to that interview in just a moment. Also joining us on the show uh, this time around, we have Danny Garcia, who is the director and writer of a movie that just um, played in Pittsburgh here uh, recently in February. The album, or the, um, excuse me, the film is called Rolling Stone, Life and Death of Brian Jones. Uh, for those of you who are um, you know, myself, born in the 70s, uh, the Rolling Stones really have our entire life been Keith and Ron Wood on guitar. But obviously you go back and you watch the older Stones uh, film. Brian was kind of instrumental in the, in the formation of the band, the naming of the band. Um, so with the big uh, Rolling Stones concert coming to pittsburgh seemed like a great time to be talking about the band Uh, so we're going to talk to him about uh researching the film uh, you know some opposition to the film um, some of the controversy of the subject matter of the film surrounding how brian died which has long been a conspiracy theory thing so we'll get to that interview with danny in just a few minutes Uh, we're going to play you some classic crack the sky and get into that interview with john palumbo
3: Should I disappear after all we've been through doesn't it seem a little bit funny to you we should all now
2: To Welcome to Iron City Rocks from the band Crack This Guy. We have John Palumbo on the line. How you doing, John?
1: I'm doing great. How are you, John?
2: Very, very well. I'm so glad to, to get a chance to talk to you guys. Um, being a show out of Pittsburgh, you're a band that is comprised of some guys from Pittsburgh. You were born in West Virginia, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah,
1: correct? I was born in... Actually, I was born in Steubenville. Uh, Weirton, West Virginia, didn't have a hospital at the time I was born.
2: Okay, so... <laughs> So you're Ohio native, I guess, then, technically.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I grew up in West Virginia, yeah.
2: Okay. And then you guys, w- when the band kind of formed, were you guys still in, were you in this area, or were you all down in Maryland at the time?
1: Uh, when the band started out, we were in, yeah, the Pittsburgh area. Okay. Um, but then, uh, well, I moved to Maryland, and a couple of the other guys are in Maryland.
2: Okay, so you've been kind of just going back and forth.
1: Yeah, you know, yeah, it's uh, we're all over the place.
2: You guys have had, you know, you know. I think a, lo- a lot of people look at your career, and I, you know, it's a it's a child of, you know, I, I kind of grew up and cut my musical chops in the late '80s. You know, I remember "Lost in America" as a single in that album, and that was always kind of the, the right. song I associated with. But then, you know, looking back, you guys had a, a, a huge history before that. You know, that was just totally unbeknownst to me. Um, you know. You guys go back what mid seventies, if I'm not mistaken, on the first album.
1: Yeah, the first album was in seventy five was released.
2: Okay. And yeah. The one one thing I, I I curious listening to that first album. This is just again my musical here, The song Surf City. Um, I listen to that and I immediately hear part of Spirit of the Radio. Maybe I'm wrong, I and mean, I know you guys had done some touring with Rush, but have you ever, ever uh-huh. anybody ever mentioned that to you? Spirit, Spirit of the Radio. If you listen to the to the bass line in, in the end of, of Surf City and Spirit of the Radio, very similar.
1: Oh, Spirit of the Radio from Rush. No, 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 I didn't. no, uh, um, no. No one's ever said that, I, and I couldn't tell you really how
2: that went. Okay. Yeah, it was just something I noticed when I listened. You know, to the, it. Base, the
1: base the bass lick. I don't the <clears> base lick I have no idea how, how it goes. But you know, I might give it a listen and see.
2: You know, I, I see the band in, in some of the you know talking about the history of the band kind of d- described as somewhat progressive. Um, was that a, a, a label you were comfortable with or embraced? You know, because that, that that can sometimes maybe alienate fans who just casually listen. You're right. Was it something that the band enjoyed? Mm, that
1: didn't really come, you know, get us labeled until later. Okay. Uh, I considered the band just a rock and roll band with, you know, some nice, uh, interesting moves and, in, mm-hmm. you know, within the songs. And, uh, so the progressive tag came much later.
2: Okay. And mm-hmm.
1: it's okay. I mean, we don't mind it. it. It's, uh, you know, you gotta call us something.
2: Yeah and that's I think you know especially in in the modern era I think bands it's almost rock is too broad for anybody no one wants to be label a band as just rock but when you listen to your music you guys have so many different elements of so many different things you know some pop melody and and, you know and and that's another word that you don't necessarily want to associate with your band sometimes but you know there's songs you can sing along to Um, you know there's some but it's not cookie cutter you know I don't listen to any of your albums and say you know this sounds like Twelve of the same songs, and that uh, right. Yeah, we
1: try to make them we try to make them interesting as possible, and because I personally have a low threshold of boredom, and <laughs> if yeah. I'm, you know, listening to a song that just you know it's kind of like regular, mm-hmm. uh, for lack of a better word, it's it just yeah I I uh, kind of pass on that real quick.
2: Yeah, and the ebb and the flow of the way you track the albums too. Uh, you know, as far as the track listing, I mean. I think really made it interesting to listen to because it isn't um, you know you feel variation from song to song and that you know holds your interest you know as a listener
1: uh, yeah I thank you I, I, I think that, that because our influence actually almost all of us the influence were the Beatles mm-hmm. and if you listen to something like the White Album mm-hmm. it's just staggering how many you know different different genres they go through yeah. on one record
2: yeah and then and that's i mean you listen to bands like the grateful dead and you you feel flavors of country and obviously jazz and all kinds of different things yeah and that i think is, is somewhat dare i say sorely lacking in a lot of bands these days um which makes i
1: think yeah i i guess i i think what happened sadly is that uh record companies came along and Said okay, here's what you sound like. Yeah. Uh, and if they have a particular song that's, uh, you know, it's kind of a hit on the radio or had a hit on the radio. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like okay, well, do do eleven do more of those.
2: Yeah. And right. So- song right. eleven right. more bands that sounded just like it too. You know, <laughs> right. Certainly in the eighties, that was the you know the formula was oh you know, one band wrote a ballad, every band yeah. had to write a ballad. You know everybody had to have an Eddie van halen in the band and you know, yeah maybe.
1: exactly exactly right
2: yeah, when right. i worked
1: with kicks are you familiar
2: with kicks absolutely yeah and that was you you were yeah. headed right to where i was going to ask you next because your, your oh, okay, influences are across me. you got you i mean from the very beginning you know through much of their heyday i mean you were you had more songwriting credits on those albums than probably anybody who's actually in the band these days.
1: <laughs> yeah, almost. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. But what I was getting about to say is uh, Don't Close Your Eyes was the hit, mm-hmm. uh, and then Atlantic uh, wanted to, them to follow up with another ballad, mm-hmm. and that's kind of when things went sour because they didn't want to do that. They they, they really saw themselves as you know a rock and roll band and they were not keen on doing another ballad. And yeah. there you go, there's, you know...
2: Now, for those not familiar, you and, you and... Was it just you and Donnie Purnell who who wrote Don't Close Your Eyes, or was there another co-writer? I'm sorry, I
1: lost you for a second. Yeah, Donnie and I, yeah. What? Donnie and I, and I think on the other ones, there was another co-writer, Dallas somebody.
2: Were you? Uh, I'm sorry,
1: I can't remember his last name.
2: Well, that's okay. When, when you partic- particularly wrote Don't Close Your Eyes was was that something you guys said okay you know Poison's had hits with this and every other band Cinderella etc you know Kix wanted their little piece of the pie and that's the way it wrote or did the song together come together a little more um, organically and it just became
1: yeah it came, to, it, it came together as a song um, I wrote the music and Donnie and yeah I think Donnie wrote the wrote the lyric Um And no, it was just it just came together. I I, you know I really doubt that they followed what the record company wanted. They you know they really are 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 a very independent thinking band. Mm
2: -hmm. Was it uh, did you ever or was it ever thrown around you getting you know actually in the band kicks or was it just something you just enjoyed writing with Donnie and you know let them do their thing you know we'll do our thing.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I was never considered for their band. Uh I don't think I'm skinny enough.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what the Steve Steve, you know, he's got a certain um you know, uh persona of about himself. You know, when you think of Kicks, you know, you you, you do yeah. tend yeah. to think of his uh persona on stage and it makes uh, for yeah. quite a bit. And, and you guys have very d- dissimilar voices and that's not a knock on either of you. It's just, you know, it's Two different instruments. No,
1: it's uh, no. I would definitely have not fit into that band, and I enjoyed working with them a lot. There was, uh, they're really great people.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's amazing. You know, even, you know, I, I kind of joke about the the songwriters in the band now, but I mean, when you listen to even them live now that sound just as good as they did I, I remember seeing them at the syria mosque i'm sure you're familiar with the syria mosque they opened for sure cinderella i yeah. had no idea who they were you know they just you know, here's a band from right. boston they came out with um cold blood and it was like okay i'm going to the uh, nrm right. the next morning to get that album because so it was like holy crap <laughs> you know so they were they were fantastic now you guys yeah they're terrific was it ever, uh, you know, for for crack this guy? Was the enticement of trying to write a hit song, you know, because you had success? I mean, obviously, Don't Close Your Eyes was a huge hit. Um, was it ever entered your mind that maybe we should just sell out and go for a, a single, you know, just a pure on radio, you know, kind of thing at the time? You know or?
1: what? No, it it never, did, at least not in my head. Uh, mm-hmm. It it the closest thing uh when we were kinda pushed toward that, the mm-hmm. closest thing that that I wrote was uh she's a dancer, and right. that was very close to you know kind of like standardized you know pop um and that was that's that's about as close as I've ever come to writing something you know that that was radio friendly uh intentionally
2: right yeah I mean you can't argue with um you know the success and the quality of the songs which I think one of the things I love about your band is that you know I, I think it is more and more people and I notice with the younger generations getting into classic rock so people want to listen to the Rush, right. Vogue Hat and a Foreigner and, right. and you kind of quickly run out of bands you know it's like how many times can you listen to, to Straight Shooter from Bad Company etc and then <laughs> you know <laughs> right, you crack right. open and it's like whoa, here's a whole new band that I maybe didn't remember, didn't think of with Crack the Sky, and you've got material that's right on par with those bands. So it's like, you know, you hear it for the first oh, time. Oh, thank
1: you. That's a compliment. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. that's a
1: compliment. And, and we do live. We 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 notice that, uh, you know, along with our regular kind of like following, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of young people that that come out to the shows. And obviously, they know the music, Um yeah. And that's that's really fascinating to me. And, and I think you put it the right way that uh, you know once you get that 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 stamp is like a legendary. They call them yeah. legends now. Yeah. Uh, and you get stamped like that. Yeah. People do try to try to find some stuff.
2: Yeah, and, and it's it's not easy to you know with today's bands you know when you when you think of new bands etc there's almost so much that you can't digest it but when you're really seeking out a particular sound of a, you know when you get into a niche of you know i enjoy the maybe arena rock sounding bands you know as you call them legend bands um you right. sometimes you start hungering right. for something new you know and, and a lot of times the, these yep. bands don't make the greatest new albums um so it's, it's right a, um can, one of the things you know as I mentioned with bands today is that there's you know record companies don't push anything um you know they, no, if no, they, they, they exist they're a bank but um yeah you know obviously yeah. your band was kind of a victim of, of maybe a record company's marketing really kind of dictating where your future may have ended up I honestly think when I listen to that and, and read the stories could you just kind of educate us on yeah. how it got rolling and how it didn't get rolling in in the 70s
1: well what what happened was that initially a&m wanted to sign us and we were signed to production company which was cashman and west uh and they decided that they wanted to to make their own label uh and which was uh, turned out being life song and they just weren't prepared for, you know, what, what was out there and how to really, uh, take advantage of, you know, independent promotion people and, uh, you know, the tremendous financial, uh, uh, you know, financial pressures on a label, uh, to kind of compete. And they had certainly the best intention. I mean, they didn't want to fail us, uh, but we would go to play and go to you know to radio stations and to outlets retail outlets and you know sometimes a lot of times we couldn't find our albums uh so distribution was poor and um and then you know there was radio that that was kind of you know you're saying was like well what's this you know (laughs) the first time they heard it we were doing an interview or something um and, you know, so it was, uh, yeah, it was a rough go.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think about, as I mentioned, with Kicks, you know, they rolled into town on whatever night it was, and, and, you know, I was at National Record Mart the next day buying that album. Had that album right. not been there to satisfy my craving, some other band would have come along, caught my attention, you know, I and mean, when you're that age, sure. you just move on to the next band. And and it's not, you know, I yep. don't think a lot of yep. people maybe can identify what it was like back then because now I can go to YouTube, I can go to Spotify, I can hear you know, I can hear the most obscure recordings you probably ever did that had sure. no, no distribution at the drop of a hat. But in 1977 or 76 or whatever year if I couldn't get you at the record store and you weren't on the radio, it's like you didn't exist, you know and that's, yep.
1: it's unfortunate. And that's pretty much what happened to us Yeah, we yeah, we were kind of very surprised about that to say
2: the yeah. Least. yeah I mean and, and to your credit we're here talking about it you know almost mm-hmm. 45 years later um, isn't that is amazing testi- yeah yeah. to the testament to how good the music was uh, thank you, know, you. It, like I said if, if it had been kind of a bubble gummy you know, tr- you know chasing the trend of 1975 music or something we may not you know you may have been long forgotten and in some dustbin um but you know you guys like i said yep. you made yep. you made a nice resurgence in the in the 80s so you know i like i said i remember lost in america i was doing regular radio at the time and that song was in pretty heavy rotation for us um so it's, yeah it's,
1: they did yeah it did pretty well it really did yeah now dad blown up detroit um mm-hmm. a couple other ones oh from the greenhouse did 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 well uh, yeah, we did okay and we're still, you know, hanging around. So my guess is that had we done, you know, the hit single and then, you know, uh, uh, stayed with that kind of formula, mm-hmm. uh, we would be you're, you're pretty much obscure at this point. Yeah, but no. so we're lucky. We're lucky that we didn't have a hit record.
2: <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. You know, I, I think you know there were so many bands, especially you know, and, and again, this was kind of my time to you know when I got into music. But how many contemporaries of Kicks with that same you know kind of don't close your eyes, where it was such a huge song, you know, just right. kind of faded into oblivion, or you know, you guys have you know quite a few original members together in the band i mean obviously obviously went through some changes but how many of those bands are you know the drummers fighting with the rest of the band over the name and you know the the, nobody in the band is in you know was on any of the records and stuff yeah
1: we've played some shows with with bands like i don't want to mention their names mm -hmm. but you know where there may be one original person there from the band uh which enables them to to hold the name you know
2: yeah, exactly. You're just paying truly for the brand, you know, in the in the yep, catalog. Yep, more exactly. So than, yeah, exactly. Than yeah. musician. So I mean, it, it's it's a nice testament uh to you guys, you know, to keep you know, especially you're doing it interstate. I mean, you you, you know, you and Rick and, and and the rest of the guys are yeah. you know, I mean, not that Marylands that far apart, but I mean, it, it's not an easy thing. I'm well, sure. Well, it's I mean, a nice haul
1: and I live right now I live just outside of Philly. So yeah, okay. we're kind of Scattered, yeah, we're yeah. scattered all over.
2: Do you guys, when you like, when you were putting the the 2018 album together, do you do a lot, you know, over the internet, or you just say, okay, we're gonna make a long weekend of it and crash it, you know, Rick's place or your place, or and, and write that way. How do you?
1: Well, what happens is I write the song, uh, and then then in my studio at home, uh, I create uh, a pretty significant demo uh that i uh, that you know presents the entire song to to those guys mm-hmm. and then uh bobby and joey drummer uh go to rick's uh and sometimes dave will join them bass player and they will go there and kind of do you know their parts on 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 the songs Mm -hmm. and so yeah we do it everybody's got got their own studio and Mm -hmm. it makes it a lot easier yeah
2: yeah i mean so
1: there's a live aspect to when those guys get together Mm -hmm. but uh i do it from from here and uh, like i said deliver the song and then they go
2: that's excellent and you know like i said the album Living in Reverse came out great. Uh, for those who, you know want to kind of catch up or maybe you know get their hands on a product, the uh, uh, you guys have kind of a retrospective crackology package available, yeah. which yeah. was a you know a yeah great we wanted product. to
1: we wanted to I'm sorry we wanted to recut uh, a lot of the songs uh, to you know and it, it came out they came out a lot edgier because mm-hmm. we've been playing so much now. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few of those songs were just, you know, were on the first album, and yeah. where we, you know, we had been playing, but not as, obviously, as long as uh, uh, we have been now. And so we wanted to, you know, to make uh, updates and uh, upgrades, I mean. And, uh, uh, you know, it came out, came out very good, I think.
2: Yeah, and you, I have to assume in 1975, when you guys went to do, you know, the debut album, you weren't given the most, massive recording budget and all the time you wanted to do overdubs and things and oh we actually
1: did they actually
2: did excuse me they actually gave us a
1: great budget uh <laughs> and didn't no it didn't they didn't pull any uh any cheap plugs on on the recording that's for sure i have to you know really give them credit for that
2: that's excellent but well, it's, it's always so the cool problem
1: was excuse me the problem was uh that we had three producers so we had three producers and working on you know one record plus we thought we were producers yeah. uh so there was a lot of head banging going on in there and uh but you know record came out fine
2: yeah i mean it certainly you know i think it was, a, it was a great introduction to the band it's it's nice to hear you know when you get a like that you know the re-recordings you get a uh, somewhat of a cohesive retrospect you know when you listen to it sometimes when you take a you know maybe a track from a 1975 album a 1988 album sonically uh-huh. they can sound so different just because of you know compression rates and all kinds of things that go into sure. that that uh it's nice yeah. to kind of get that and like i said it sounds fantastic John, yeah what's,
1: you, what's funny though is you know you spend so much time getting the sound uh uh, and to get it proper, you know, in the mix and everything, and then you find out people are listening to it over telephones.
2: <laughs> over <laughs> yeah. cell phones. Yeah, that, like, that's whoa. probably the nature of the beast, unfortunately. and they're, yeah. they're listening to it for free. You might be getting a few pennies here or there, and they're listening to it through, you know, subpar, you know hundreds of they spent hundreds of dollars oh, yeah. on their uh, I, I, headphones but you know they're listening to uh, Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 and we're you know we're trying to get you know nice punchy bass and you know and some great bottom and and you know and it's on a cell phone and, <laughs> and it's only going to produce so much.
2: Yeah, I, I know and- it, it's um. I, I always consider when I listen to new music. You know, a lot of people say, "Can we send you a stream of it?" And if you want me to enjoy it, please don't send me a stream. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I love to be able to still listen to the music in my car because it's the one place where, you know, I can control the bass levels, the treble levels. You know, I don't do any. There's no right. adjustments for the crap right. on a phone. Um. So it's, yeah, it's, and
1: CDs are pretty much history. Uh, yeah, they're not even putting CD players in cars anymore.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a whole whole different topic for a whole different podcast. Yeah. That one's And everybody's
1: me. saying everybody's saying that uh, yeah, I'm sorry, everybody's saying that uh, vinyl is back, and it it is making somewhat of a comeback, but it's so expensive to produce. So there's yeah. you know a lot of record companies are saying, well, yeah, know yeah, it'd be nice to have vinyl, but it's not cost effective at all.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it is. It's an it's an expensive thing to buy. I mean when you're walking into right. a you know, I always enjoy when you go to like you know mainstream record stores if you can even find one or even some like big box stores and you go in and these you know twenty eight dollars for an album, um, <laughs> you know that you know you may have paid six for back in the day. Um, right. 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 It's expensive right. for a. You know, but I think the one thing it does do and this is something I think is, is kind of missing with digital music is when you make that investment in that album you know the $28 for your copy of Dark Side of the Moon or whatever some kids buy now, right. you're going to invest the time to listen right. to it you're not making that as a frivolous purchase and just going to skip around a couple tracks and say the hell with it um, you know it's right
1: listen that, to it while you're playing a video game yeah
2: yeah I mean it's you you miss that experience of the entire album and that's that's one of the great things of vinyls. I think it does encourage people to take the time to listen to the whole damn thing now where yeah you
1: know, I think I agree with you yeah
2: but anyway you guys are coming again March 7th I don't want to keep you all afternoon um you're going to be no, doing you're a fine, show you're fine you're coming up to Jerkles you know relatively yeah. short drive for most of your band a little bit longer for you so we'll hope that we don't have one of those freaky March snowstorms yeah. Uh, yeah I hope
1: not Right.
2: Yeah, we never know in Pennsylvania in in uh, this time of year. So we wish you all the best, um, and hopefully we'll uh, have a nice crowd turnout for you guys and expect some. Yeah, that'd in the be future. great.
1: We like playing there. We're, it's a uh, it's a nice venue. Yeah, it's
2: great. Well, John, I want to thank you so much, man.
1: Okay, thank you, John, and I uh, hope to see you at the show.
2: Right, again, a big thank you to John Palumbo, Crack the Sky, March 7th, Jurgles Rhythm Grill, Warrendale, Pennsylvania. Great to see them. Uh, they were there just uh, around a year ago, I think. Had a great response to them, and it was great to see them coming back. Um, great to see that band still active. And as I mentioned in the interview, get on the Spotify, the YouTube. Go back and check out some of their material. Um, maybe a little bit hard to find some of those albums uh, in you know in CD stores or record stores. For you know, not that there's any of those left anymore, but certainly on Spotify you can get yourself. Um, chance to listen to those so, you know as you're a person like myself who enjoys classic rock and you know some of those progressive rock bands you know there's a finite number of sticks albums finite number of yes albums finite number of rush albums all as awesome as they are but um it's cool to kind of have a band that that may be a along the way to go back and listen to their music so check out crack this guy as I mentioned at the top of the show, uh, Danny Garcia, film producer for the Rolling Stone, uh, the life and death of Brian Jones, uh, the forming—I uh, should say—original member of the Rolling Stones. Uh, a lot of mystery surrounding how he died. Um, was he murdered? Did, did he just OD? As you know, the official—I believe—the official, I believe the official uh, report is um, so. Danny decided to dig into that. Uh, it was a band he was turned on to, and he and I discuss. Uh, you know, the Rolling Stones when we were kids were it was Ron Wood and, and Keith, but you know Brian was still instrumental in the forming of the band, uh, maybe not in song credits, but uh, the guy certainly did have a, an indelible mark on the history of rock and roll. So it's a uh, film worth checking out. It's gonna be coming to a uh, digital medium here in April. I uh, got a really cool soundtrack. So let's turn our attention out to Danny Garcia. ladies and gentlemen my distinct pleasure to welcome to Iron City Rocks we have on the line uh, from the producer of the film Rolling Stone Life and Death of Brian Jones we have Danny Garcia on the line how you doing Danny?
0: Hey thank you for having me on the show I'm doing great actually I'm in Sao Paulo Brazil right
2: now that sounds so lovely. I can't complain too much yeah now you're in, correct my ignorance but you're in you're in um, what would be the summertime then down there right? yeah 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 it's really it's pretty hard that's the way to do it yeah that sounds great well we're going to be having the uh experience of seeing your your latest film rolling stone life and death of brian jones here in pittsburgh this weekend as part of the pittsburgh cultural trust sonic cinema Mm -hmm. series um most of the films i've noticed you've done up to this point involving music have been a little, little more in the punk rock genre was there what drew you to brian jones Well, actually, the first band I was
0: drawn to as a kid, as a six-year-old kid that I was then, it was the Rolling Stones, you know, and um, my father bought me Aftermath, and it's been all downhill ever since, you know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I started collecting all the albums and reading books about them, and, you know, they, they were my favorite band. Very first, my first musical love in my life, <clears throat> and then it was the Clash and the Pistols and so on. I mean, actually, all those films I've been doing—they're all about my childhood heroes, really, and and my teenage heroes. You know, I was growing up, learning how to play bass. I wanted to play bass like Didier Ramon, uh, you know, Paul Simon, and I had all those influences. But really, the Stones were my first musical love, and you know, to me, Brian was always the most fascinating character of them. Not only because of his mysterious death, and his mysterious life, and his amazing look, mm. you know, super original, and the fact that he played a myriad of instruments. And, you know, he was he was a very very interesting character, and to me, he was the most interesting character out of all the lineups they've, they've ever had.
2: Yeah, okay. the
0: first lineup with Mick Taylor and and Ian uh, Stewart. You know
2: what I mean, when you were young, if I'm not mistaken, you and I are of similar age. Do you remember the Rolling Stones like before Ron Wood? I mean, as when I say that, I mean, you know, in, in my life <laughs> I, I was too young to remember Mick Taylor, and you know, obviously, I've seen them. You know, videos and such. But do you remember I'm, a lineup previous to that? No, no. I,
0: I remember al- they were already with Ron Wood because it okay. must it it was like seventy six. Okay. When I well, I saw him on television and it was instantaneous. I you know, I turned to my brother, I said, What is this? And he went The Rolling Stones <laughs> and I was like, All right, cool you know, and I you know, I just loved it and it was the energy, you know, music hits you. You know, hits everybody in a different way. But you know, if it hits you, it hits you directly you know, sure. to your molecular system. You know, and it alters you. You know, some somehow.
2: And that's what happened. You
0: know, to me and to millions of other people. It's that raw energy that they, you know, bring to the table. I guess
2: when you're doing a film like this, you know, about obviously a, a some would say almost the, the the cornerstone of what became the Rolling Stones, the man who named the band, who really Kind of uh, pulled in the other musicians, but did you have to get, you know, from a legal standpoint, you have to get the blessing of the band to do this, or is it do you have to kind of skirt around different things in well, the film?
0: You're free to do a bio or a book on anybody, you know, I mean Frank Sinatra tried to stop, famously tried to stop the book his way. Oh. I, I forget the name of the author, and he went to court a couple of times and the judge told him, look, forget it. This woman is free to write about anybody she wants. You're a famous person. You don't deal with it, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. You didn't want to
0: be famous. Just stay home. You shouldn't go on stage, you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. famous people famous people cannot stop you from doing whatever you want at least you want to do about them, okay? That's, mm-hmm. you know, famous people, right? Um, the band, the music, in the 60s music uh, of the stones doesn't belong to the band it belongs to Apco, the company uh, funded by Alan klein now mm-hmm. run now run by, by his children like his sons and their daughters i guess i'm not i'm not too sure i'm not familiar with this family tree at all mm-hmm. but what i can tell you is that they didn't respond to any of our emails okay we're an independent company i mean i get it we are nobody in the, in the cinema industry I totally mm. get it but I mean it's courtesy to actually respond to emails you know even if you're not interested in their business it's just you know anyway they didn't respond to any of our emails um, so there was no chance that we could get any music of the Stones in this film mm-hmm. so the film is about Brian it's not about the Stones Right. it's 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 practically a, a psychological portrait of Brian step by step, you know. Um you really get to understand what, why, when, when you watch this. And and that's the best thing I can say about the film. And oh that's what I'm proud of actually. Wow, you know, we actually did this. There's no stones music. I mean we've had amazing help from people like Dick Taylor, who was an exile Founding member of the Stones and went on to form the Pretty Things, you know, one of the greatest bands of the 60s. Exclusion. Um, and he, he recorded two tracks specifically for this film. So, I mean, we cannot thank this guy enough. Yeah, and, that's he's, and he's like the nicest guy. And he did this, this like 60s sounding tracks, instrumental tracks, they're really amazing and they, they really made the movie a lot better, you know, it was like, wow a real present from the gods, you know and, and, and he likes Brian, you know he doesn't hate on him like other people do, still today, you know <laughs> holding grudges and stuff um, he, you know, and we've had help from other people like Ray Hanson from the Nodings and the Horse of Babylon you know I, he, they went to the studio and the idea was to have them jam like you know, sounding kind of like Stone 68, you know, around that period. And they did a wonderful job. I mean, Ray is a wizard with a slight guitar, so he did great. Then we have people like the Deadbeat Poets, Greg Prevost from the Chesterfield Kings, John Perry from The Only Ones, the Alabama Three, Vermont City Joyriders, the Prima Donna Reeds, uh, J.M. Ball. We have so many, you know, uh, great musicians and bands collaborating. Out of love for Brian, actually, mm-hmm. and some of the music is inspired by Brian, which is it's kind of a dream, actually. You know? when and you and that's how we made the movie, basically. You know? That's how we made it. We made it happen.
2: When you approach a film like this, uh, you know, uh, uh, when you're trying to tell the story of someone's life, you know, his, you know, struggles inside and out of the band, um, personality conflicts, drug addiction, etc. Do you find yourself yeah. Is, is a producer having to empathize with him or, or what kind of mindset do you have to get into to tell the story oh, or, or do you decide you sep- that
0: you have to separate you know if you're a fan of this group you have to put that aside obviously mm-hmm. you know what I mean this is not a romantic film right you know to remember O'Brien in some sort of you know no this is about facts and dates and things that actually happened, and mm-hmm. everything has been published before. We've just put a, put everything together in one film, and we've also had the help of from people like Scott Jones, who is actually the only investigative journalist in the UK that has gone to the government and demanded, uh, thanks to the Freedom of Information Act, all the Brian Jones files. Um, he was given a bunch of files, but it was not complete. Mm-hmm. The only thing is that um, with all the files they gave him, he could he figured out what happened. Basically. Did you tell Because, because you, have to, you have to remember that the cops, when they first arrived there, they were actually doing the job that they are supposed to do, which is investigate. It's later than that, you know, the top brass shows up on the scene and decides what is what this is all revealed in the film I don't want to spoil it for sure. your listeners, so I don't want to say uh,
2: too much about that, <laughs> that. Too Right. but right but you're alluding for those not familiar with the, the theories of, of regarding controversy over whether he died you know of an overdose or potentially was murdered which has long been debated you know that yeah. kind of flares up that argument well um, I, I I can,
0: what I can tell you is that he didn't die by himself
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know they might call it manslaughter but he was murdered I'm not going to go that far but you know like I said before it's all very Aga- Agatha Christie you know and yeah. uh, I I just don't want to spoil it sure because it's so interesting and what happens after his death
2: when when you make a film like this Danny you know there's been a lot of it, yeah. No.
0: Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, I mean, I was just gonna say that there's been a lot of shit written about Brian over the years, and you know, there's, there's a lot of haters, man. You know, I've never had so many people hating on me. Um, you know, not even when we did the Sid and Nancy film, where you know, when we had an actual stalker, you know, like writing shit on every page and stuff. I mean, the the Brian Jones thing, is, you know, brings out all the weirdos. It's just crazy the amount of people who seem to have been at Couchford Farm on the night of July 2nd, 1969, because they seem to know everything. You know, They seem mm-hmm. to know exactly what happened and why and who's behind it. Dude, like seriously, I mean, it's just insane. I, I mean, I never thought people were that crazy, but wow. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm just... Really.
2: Yeah, I think people latch yeah. on to the conspiracy theory thing, even if yeah. it's, you know, and, and, you know, just latch <laughs> on to it.
0: But you would imagine that with the Sid and Nancy thing being punks and all that, you would get a lot more weirdos and freaks and people with their own theories and stuff, which you do. But people were a lot nicer with with the Brian thing. People are, like, nasty and stuff. I don't get it, man. I'm like, wow. I'm just trying to do my job, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but there's people... That wrote books about Brian, who had been trying to make documentaries about Brian for the last twenty-five years, and they never got it together. And I did it in two years. So that's a source of hatred for these people. I get it. I understand. I'm just doing my job, you know. It's like hating on a drummer for playing the drums. You
2: know? Yeah, his job. Yeah, you're you're a, you're a storyteller in this case. I mean, it's well. well I mean, you know, you know, I I wanted to to bring out.
0: the the, the character of Brian Jones and talk about him on on the 50th and we managed just in the nick of time to present it in London on on December 16th last year so um, that was was the idea, you know, let's talk to as many uh, of Brian's friends and collaborators and lovers as we can and tried to get the real picture of who this guy was, you know, because
2: he, like I said, it was very really mysterious. When you put the way together... He, the way. When you put together a film like this, and, and you you obviously have to think about how to get people to watch it and and get it to, in front of their eyeballs. Obviously, you're traveling. You know, the, the movie will play theaters around the country, I'm sure. But do you then look at, you know, does this go to a streaming service? Is that... Would that be the distribution method that you expect to be next after, you know? Rightly, really. On on digital and DVD. And then there's a very
0: limited release vinyl soundtrack um, album, uh, which will be out uh, also uh, around mid April. I, I don't have the exact dates right now, sure. but I will, I, will, I will have them shortly. Anyway, that's the plan. Um, You know, it's just kind of put Brian back on the map. He's been like, you know, uh, stripped under under the rug of of the ages a bit. bit, You know what I mean? It's not, it's not regarded. You know, obviously, it's not John Lennon or Jimi Hendrix, but I think his contribution was equally great. Actually, he influenced the attitude of the of the '60s. The look. I mean, look. I mean. Literally, seriously, look at any garage American band from the 60s, from 64 onwards, and there's always, in every band, there's a blonde guy with the Brian look. There's a Brian look in all of these garage bands, so his influence was pretty effing great. And, you know, he wrote, eight mile, co-wrote, eight miles high with the birds in, in uh, Pittsburgh, hanging out with them in a hotel, and there's this video of Jim Clark talking about it on YouTube. Actually, you can watch it. It's fascinating. You know, Brian didn't want any credit for it and stuff. You know, so he actually wrote stuff, and he wasn't credited for it. And now he's got credit for painted black.
2: Yeah, it is a, interesting to see how you know when you you really dig into what he did because you think of the Stones, you think of Jagger and Richards. I mean, that's just you know where your brain goes. Especially, as I said earlier, for you know my generation, your generation, where we didn't have Brian. You know, Brian was gone at that point. Um, but you know, you see, he played with Jimi Hendrix. You know, he played on all along the Watchtower. I mean, just an amazing list of credits. You know, and, and if you go back and you digest the albums that he was heavily involved with, it, very different sounding Stones. You know, much more blues rooted. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, they went from rhythm and blues to pop. To you know,
0: psychedelia to rock and roll, you know, and he was in the band while all that was all that transition, initial transitions were happening. That's in the 60s. So, in 68, when they do Jumping Jack Flash, which is a riff that Bill Wyman came up with, by Mm -hmm. the way, uh, (laughs) and it became another Jagger Richards track, which is the beginning of the guitar. Sound, stone, sounding stones that we've been, you know, used to have seen since then, really, you know, and, and that begins with Jumping Jack Flash, and Brian was there, So, you, you know, know he, he was there, you know. In yeah, exactly. Let It Bleed, it's true, he didn't really do much. He was he's in like three tracks, not doing much, but he wasn't interested in the band anymore. He was disenchanted. He wanted to produce. Yeah, he was in love with yeah, the world music he was recording in. in in Morocco, uh, with the Jujuka tribe people, the masters of Jujuka. I mean, he was really out there. And why do you think Bob Dylan, John Lennon, J- to him, you know, they were friends of him. I mean, Paul invited him to play on a, on a Beatles track, and he showed up with an outdoor sax, and he did a, you know, like 16 bars or something like that in, in the outro of the song. You know my name. Look up my number. Mm-hmm so yeah you're, you're right the amount of collaborations he'd done with top people is pretty out there and he you know all these people were drawn to him because he was you know Mr. Interesting in, in the Rolling Stones you yeah. know if he would have met he would have been drawn to him as well probably he was a magnetic and then he, you know he had a great side to him you know and then he had a nasty side to him which is true he was very you know uh, emotionally immature although he was super intelligent you know, so he could manage uh, up until when he starts getting busted by Sergeant Pilcher and the Chelsea Drug Squad, which were planting evi- uh, drugs evidence in uh, pop stars' houses because that was the order of the day. That's what we discuss in the documentary. That's what makes it even more interesting, actually, because we discuss all of that and what was going around, not just Brian, but also the pop stars of the day. Mm-hmm. You know. The
3: Rolling Stones, No Filter 2020, sponsored by Alliance for Lifetime Income. Heinz Field, June 23rd. The world's greatest rock and roll band. Get tickets now at rollingstones.com. By Concerts West and AEG Presents The Stones. Get tickets now.
2: All right, that about wraps up this episode of Iron City Rocks. Again, I want to thank John Palumbo of Crack the Sky, March 7th, Jurgles Rhythm Grill in Warrendale. Also, Danny Garcia of Rolling Stone, Life and Death of Brian Jones, uh, which is promised will be out in uh, digital format streaming and the such uh, in April, hopefully. Unfortunately, um, Fortunately, we didn't get this interview uh, done in time to, to have you check out the show that was being done uh, by the Pittsburgh Cultural Trust, who have been doing some new music uh, films. So we'll try to keep you abreast of those as they happen. And I uh, want to invite you to check out ironcityrocks.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, or all forward, su- forward slash ironcityrocks. Uh, make sure you check one of those out. We ch- try very hard to get information out about things like this Brian Jones film. Um, if you had been following the page, you would have known before the film actually happened, which probably would have been more helpful. Um, all the major concert announcements, all the minor concert announcements. You know, some of the bands that I know our audience are fame are fans of uh, maybe go under the radar. Uh, for example, if you, if you followed us recently on Facebook, uh, Nile is coming to the Craft House. Uh, Nile's not a band that probably is getting a lot of uh, love from terrestrial radio stations, so. Uh, If you're into metal bands, classic rock bands, alternative rock bands, uh, pretty much anything with a guitar, bass, and and somebody who can sing, um, and a little bit of overdrive, uh, you'll you'll be worth your while to check us out. We'd appreciate it. Uh, And until next time, we want to thank you so much for listening.